Welcome to the DLR Library Podcast, Need to Read. Recommended reads from those in the know. Hello, my name is Hayley and I am here with Hugh Torpy. Hugh is a, an avid reader and a regular library goer. You're very welcome, Hugh. Hello, Hayley. How's it going? Not too bad. Um, so, Hugh... You do you, you like to read across a lot of genres, but um, in particular, would you say fantasy? Well, or that's what you're here to talk about today. Yeah, but. it's here I want to talk. And funny enough, you 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 gave me a text and said, um, "What? What? Who's your favourite writer? What writer would you like to talk about?" And I sort of went through all the pretentious choices first. You know, my, my I went through my, my to my library and I looked across. But I have to say that the one writer that's sort of been consistent throughout my life, and I'd say. He would be the one I'd bring on holiday. He'd be the one I would bring to the dentist appointment. He'd be the one I'd read at night. Would be Terry Pratchett. Um, I started reading him probably in my early twenties. As you say, he's a, he's a fantasy writer. It's it's very much. I remember picking it up, thinking it was going to be a, a type of Lord of the Rings skit on Lord of the Rings. It's very much not that. I think it, it actually in in the the cultural psyche he did get sort of looped in there, but. What it is, is it's an entry into another world. I would say when you look back on across his work compared to his peers, I think he's the best satirical writer of his generation. Um, the world that he brings you into is a place called Ankh-Morpork. Uh, more wild, widely, it's called the Disc World. Um, and to give you an idea, it's uh, a world that floats through space on the back of a giant turtle, which stands on the back of four giant elephants. So you can see that it's a ridiculous concept from the very beginning, but he uses that sort of wild magical sense to bring in a huge amount of issues um, and looks at things in a different way um, than any other writer I've ever come across. And um, and this world, he does, I mean, he's, he's so prolific, he's written so many books, but so many of them are set in this world, aren't they? I, I would say... I would say largely so. He, he breaks it down. I, I'd break it down basically into two broad groups where he he do series of books with with characters that he'd follow uh, through many different adventures, and then he'd have single standalone books where he'd sort of tackle either a single subject or just a single story. Um, he did do other books, and towards the end of his career, he wrote uh, uh, like Good Omens with Neil Gaiman. Um, I think that was recently a TV show. Um, he did a lot of different stuff, um, but his main over, I suppose, will be definitely the Discworld and, and Ankh-Morpork specifically. Mm-hmm. And just going back to your Lord of the Rings um, comparison, I did. Uh, I heard him on Discworld in, in researching this to talk to you um, with uh, Kirsty Young, and he was he was talking about why he how he got into writing fantasy, and he was kind of sick of the sort of. Re- repetitive nature of so many fantasy novels that that were just sort of were influenced by he said people by who were influenced by people who were influenced by Tolkien and and that's kind of the format a lot of them took um in the way the characters were but he he wanted his characters to react and have sort of modern sensibilities to like be set in in the 20th 21st century um but in this ridiculous world of on the island I think that's one of the, the beautiful things about it. And, and um, you'll see, actually, 
by the way, anyone that's come across Terry Pratchett on TV and thinks that's what Terry Pratchett is, don't worry, that's not. Um, no one's been able to capture that on screen, the, the sort of sensibility of Pratchett. And one of the really interesting things about it is it's a set in a time where the world was changing. So really always, it, it, it hits a lot of themes like uh, immigration, integration, globalization. And a new program actually is coming out, I think it's, it's taken uh, a steampunk uh, look. And I think that's probably about right. It's that sort of back in Victorian world, but everything's changing. You know, the, the rails are coming, the rail rays are coming into effect, you know, steam. And and it, like the, it was such a pity because uh, he died a couple of years ago and he, he was talking about his next few books and he was going to his next book was about the sewerage system. You know, okay, it's yeah. that sort of stuff that he was talking about. But as you said, it was the characters that he always started with. And you always explored the world through those characters. So they were never the stock, uh, the stock characters, as you were saying, like Conan the Barbarian was just a derivative 10 issues on from Lord of the Rings. Whereas yeah. in Terry Pratchett, every character is very fleshed out and uh, is very. Do you, do you care about them or is it not that kind of novel? It's more. Oh, no, you do. Definitely. And I, I think you you definitely end up caring much more about the side characters. You know, there's there's a, a not many of the books we're talking about, but there's a golem, um, which is something that's made of clay, and she uh, it, it it it's assumed to be a male, but then uh, she starts reading about um, she starts picking up a book about etiquette, and she starts taking on female sensibilities and 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 becoming more female and starting to um, interact with the women, and you really really get into that character on the side probably featured about 30 paragraphs but it's that sort of uh insight and again you can you can see how Pratchett is exploring it within himself he hasn't picked a narrator from the very beginning he's just he sees something interesting he goes towards it and he explores it through the character which always which is always enjoyable yeah I did um I read that that I haven't read any of his books but um just in my research, it seems like there's so many ways in. Like there's all these different people suggesting this is the one you read first, this is the one you should read first. And it doesn't really matter because they're all in the same world. They're all in their own standalone in a way, but they're all different series, like five series or six series within that ser- the whole series. But apparently he wrote his first book, um, not obviously not expecting it to do as well as it did. And it, he wasn't, it wasn't maybe something he planned on doing as a series. Um, yeah, actually, funnily enough, his first book, um, his first book is generally considered to be Color of Magic, um, which is Rincewind and, and Rincewind the Wizard, um, which is basically the introduction to, to this world. But that, he actually has a book before that. I think it's called Strata. Um, he used to work, I think, as a, as, a, uh, as a marketing or a press official in a nuclear power plant or something. And he wrote that back then. It was a very quick, short, sharp little book. It's not good. Um, okay. I, w- I wouldn't say... Don't start with that one. Yeah. I wouldn't say The Colour of Magic either would be the place to start. I think he, he gets into it about three or four books in, especially we're going to talk about them now, the Witches series and then the uh, uh, Commander Vimes Men- or Nightwatch series. I think that's where he really gets the characters right. 
and he gets the world right as well. I think even the color of magic is, is again, you can see him that he just started with the character. He's suddenly in a world. And then this novel just sort of expands out. It's no real plot. It's just... It's very little plot. Yeah. Uh, but in the later books, they all read like mystery novels. You can see he has a beginning and an end, and he just wanders away to get there. Mm-hmm. And is it funny? Uh, is he, He's very funny, isn't he? He's quite like, observational he's, um, on sort of how people react to situations. And, and then he, to put... I guess the idea of putting people in that world reacting like, the way we think, do is quite funny. Yeah, I don't think any author has ever made me laugh as much as Pratchett. Did you lull? Um, sorry? Do you lull out loud? Oh, lulls are had. <laughs> I, I would say only Douglas Adams maybe yeah. has, has, has made me bellyache as much as, as Pratchett. And again, we all know the reason why you really laugh at something is when you get the character. And yeah. as you say, when they're reacting to something and it just makes you burst out laughing. It's silly uh, and it's uh, it, exactly. I mean, absurd, absurdism. There, I've seen. Um, we're going to talk about uh, Jingo. Yeah, we start with that. part of the Commander Vime series. And that, for example, is, I, I don't know what, what uh, number it is in the series, but it's probably fourth or fifth or something like that. There's three characters uh, recurring within these series and outside these series which would be uh, Lord Bernari, who's basically the patrician of the city. Um, he's uh, a, a brilliant, genius, spiderweb kind of politician, um, but with a, with a good heart. And then we have two of the original cops, which is Nobby and um, Sergeant Colon, who are two ridiculous, um, very lazy, always trying to get away with things, two sort of characters. And through a confluence of circumstances, those three characters end up in a submarine together in this book. And they're some of my favorite passages in literature because it is two very kind hearted, dumb people talking to a very amazingly smart man. And he, you know, again, starts to care for them and and respect them as much as anything else, because he uh, the patrician is one of those people while he's very um, uh, Machiavellian. He, he wants to evolve the city into a modern um, society, which again requires in a world where there's thieves guilds and uh, thieves guilds and assassins guilds, where you can hire someone to, where you can pay to not be robbed every year. Um, it's it's really interesting to see all those sort of characters come together. Um, it's almost like, you know, those, uh, uh, what's that, um, Game of Thrones, when you get the, yeah. the, the partnerships in the, in the episodes. I haven't seen it, but... Oh, Hayley, come on. Another. <laughs> <laughs> you can come back and talk about and that. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Game of Thrones either. But, it, um, yeah, it's 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 the characters when they... The, the fact is these were characters that never interacted before over five or six novels, and then suddenly they're, they're, they've come into your world, you're interacting with them all, you know them so well... Yeah. Every joke lands. Every sentence matters. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you got the backstory. That's nice. When you were talking there, you you you, you called you said his writings among the best, or those paragraphs are on the, among the best literature you've read. And there is a lot of like snobbery about fantasy that people say, oh, it's not literature. And I, I did see an article in the Guardian. Um, by this writer just sort of slating um 
Pratchett books and saying you're better off Is reading. Doug Greenslade. No, uh, Jones, I think. Um, actually, there's a website called The Conversation, and uh, this author, Annie Coral Demosthenes, uh, sort of responded to that Guardian article. Um, it, it basically, he was. it was by Jonathan Jones. And John Jones, that was it. Yeah. I, remember, I remember commenting. <laughs> Did you? Okay. <laughs> but, he, but he hadn't read it. He was saying he wasn't going to read it because yeah. it's not literature. And that he'd rather spend his time reading Jane Austen. So, he's, but but she goes on to sort of argue that um, that it is literature. And she says um, when some the characteristics of something that's literary is elegant, adventurous use of language, engagement with themes of universal significance, inventiveness of style, defiance of genre, um, and she says he he. He sort of locates the extraordinary within the ordinary. Um, and I thought this was nice as well. He, he seldom allows language to exist unchallenged. Words are stretched and twisted by new and surprising contexts. Yeah. Opening the reader's eye to the arbitrary relation of signifier and signified, often eliciting surprise laughter. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a, a, the signified. A, I'll give you a little example of that. One of the, the common recurring themes, themes within Pratchett is belief in something leads to the power of that belief. So again, another book we're going to uh, I picked was Small Gods, and the the beginning of that book is about um, a tortoise that uh, falls into the backyard of a novice um, priest, and the whole thing about it is that this is a god that has fallen because it had not paid attention to its followers, and the last remaining follower was this small novice. So uh, the whole book is about the God trying to regain the followers because if people don't believe in him, then he can't stop being a tortoise. Okay, he doesn't exist without them. Yeah, so it's this constant playing of um, the sort of arbitrary circular nature of the world that cause and effect constantly bashes up against each other and all these characters are caught up within the maelstrom of it and he just flies off with it through humour. And yeah, for those people that would say it's not literary, you know, I, I love Jane Austen, I you know, Pride Prejudice, <laughs> Emma, <laughs> Sense and Sensibility. These are all like amazing books. But what makes them so amazing is the characters within them, the issues they explore, the themes and the smart language within them. Again, is fantastic, but it only lands when the characters and the world is there. And that's what Pratchett does pretty much every single time he, he puts pen to paper um i i i, I would counter it with, in a hundred ways I, I'd, I'd say my mother who probably reads every book that's ever printed would be the, the same opinion that pratchett would be one of her favorite authors it's it's one of those things that you shouldn't be afraid of because it's outside of what you'd normally go for um Pretentiousness can cause a lot of harm <laughs> to yeah. your, to I your mean, if you enjoy it, you enjoy well-being. it. And it, sh- it shouldn't be sort of restricted as genre fiction. It, sh- it should it sound so broad the way you're describing it. Um, well, I love the fact that it is genre because it allows him to play with the themes. Yeah. And as that critic was saying, with the language of everything, it allows him to play with us. And that's why it's satire, ultimately. Yeah, and if you're as imaginative as he seems, it's... It, I suppose fantasy allows you 
just to be incredibly prolific because there's just sort of oh well, I might, maybe that's not true for a lot of things but if there's just sort of seems to be endless scenarios and worlds you can create yeah it's also the problem with fantasy though because <laughs> the worlds that some people create are awful uh, and that you don't want to visit um, and there, there is I, I have to say I actually wouldn't be a big fantasy reader <clears throat> just because it is so difficult to find good stuff um, you know, I've, tr- I've tried the dunes and all those sort of things, and they are just impenetrable to me. Um, yeah. I would much prefer pick up a book like like a Terry Pratchett and and whip through it really quickly, have a few laughs. And it does affect your thinking, I think, over the long term. You'll see a lot of, well, if you become a big Terry Pratchett fan, you'll see a lot of stuff and you go, oh, someone's been reading Terry Pratchett. The references. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. It, it's 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 not so much the references actually; it's the thinking. You can just you can tell when someone's been reading a lot of Pratchett. Okay, that's interesting. So, do you want to talk about? Um, well, you've kind of talked about the books as you're speaking there, but. Um, yeah, let's pick because uh, Jingo is right in front of me. Yeah. So I'll pick that one. So, that was. Um, um, so it's probably one of his best written books, as, uh, along with Small Gods. It's about um, the power struggle between Ankh Morpork, which I would say roughly approximates to the West, mainly London. Um, but I'd say it also has elements of, of a lot of other places as well. Um, and Clatch, which would probably be best represented by the East, you know, Middle East type of uh, culture. And what happens is, is a small island called Lesp, I believe, um, rises out of the sea. And between, exactly between Ankh-Morpork and Lesh, or and Clatch. So obviously this newly strategic island uh, becomes very important uh, to the two countries. And war brews. And it goes, the, the opening stanzas of the, the, the book are all about um, the, the brewing of war in a society that doesn't necessarily want it. Um, and the way that jingoism um, rises up throughout the ranks. And there's a huge, uh, in Ankh-Morpork, there's a big divide between when there was the aristocracy and now. So in this time of war, and you'll notice this in society, the aristoc- aristoc- aristocracy rises back up into power and starts it starts taking decisions on behalf of the government and the people that wouldn't necessarily be wanted by the people. And the same thing is happening in, in Clatch. So the central character is Commander Vimes, and who's head of the, the Night Watch. Uh, at the beginning of the series, he's, he's sort of a lowly character. He's now risen in the ranks. And he essentially tries to stop the war. And through a, a series of adventures, he gets to Clatch. And I would say his um, counterpoint is a um, character who I've now forgotten his name over in Clatch, who is also a military leader. And the book, I won't go through any more of the plot because it will start spoiling, but the, the whole book is about that inexorability towards war even though the only thing they're fighting over is worthless and has no real value. But because this thing has now suddenly appeared, this sort of grain in the in the wheel or whatever you call it, um, the whole society suddenly jumps to war. And um, sorry, is that part of the dis- Discworld? Yeah, so this part, this would be, I would say, one of the middle of the in, entire series. 
And, so uh, is it? Does it have its own series within that, or is it just the one? Yeah, it's I. And it starts in the the Night Watch series, which one of the our Men in Arms series. Uh, it starts at the Men in Arms book, which is one of very early Pratchett books, which is again it finds Commander Vimes um, uh, commanding this very ragtag group of quote unquote guards that um, guard the city at night, and but their whole ethos is basically to avoid trouble, um, and. Again, the, the reforming of the police as they are is one of the, the themes of the modernization of, of Ankh Morpork throughout the, the, the books, the Discworld books. How would you sell Pratchett to a non Pratchett fan? Oh, how would I sell Pratchett? Um, I would say, <laughs> let me think about that one for a second. How would I sell Pratchett to a, Pratchett, a non Pratchett fan? I think I, I would say to them, if you want to, to explore a world with characters, with humor, um, have a new lens to look at things in the world, to, to see things just a slightly bit differently, to have your own thoughts questioned, I would definitely dive in. And I'd also say if you're a fan of Agatha Christie, if you're a fan of any of those sort of mystery novels, there's loads of them within Prasha. They're all great fun. Um, I, I don't see a reason not to have a go at reading Pratchett. I think they're incredibly easy to get into. Unless you know, sorry, I'll revise that. They're not incredibly easy to get into. You could be 100 pages into a Pratchett novel and not know where the hell you are. But I would say stick with it, because at the end of it, it will all wrap up nicely mm-hmm. and you will have had a lot of fun along the way. Yeah, because humour is is rare, not rare, but it's hard to do. And um, like you say, the Douglas Adams, I, I definitely find that very funny. So I, I can't remember the last book that I found really funny. I'd have to... Uh, I, lo- I loved all them, actually, even the, the ones after, you know, the Mostly Harmless and all those sort of ones. I, yeah. I, I, I found them fantastic. I would actually recommend the other one that I was saying tonight, um, The Small Gods, I would say that's a good place if you're a non-Pratchett reader to get in there. Yeah. Um, it's a very uh, immediately uh, latchable onto theme. You know, it's all about religion, belief, um, the the what people do for belief, what people... And also, you see, the other thing about Pratchett, I'd also sort of compare it to South Park a little bit, where he takes pokes fun at everybody at all sides. So in Small Gods, obviously, there's a huge part um, about regaining belief, but there's also a, a counteracting um, force of science. But he'll make fun of the scientific people just as much and question their beliefs just as much as the religious side. Um, so it's always fun to, to, to jump in and explore those themes. I, I, I would say Small Gods is the, is the one to go for if you haven't read anything yet. Okay. Uh, what about Weird Sisters? Uh, is it Weird Sisters? Maybe we'll Weird talk about Sisters, that. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is the second or third one in the Witches series. The Witches series, I'd say, are the funniest. Um, they follow uh, Granny Weatherwax, who's the sort of matriarch of this, um, the region of Lank. Lankra, sorry. 
Um, it's always funny to say these names out loud when you just yeah. read them. So Granny Weatherax is the, the matriarch of a group of witches, a coven of witches with Nanny Og and uh, McGrath Garlic. And basically they live in a rural um, uh, village with a, a king, but you know, it's a, it's a kingdom of, you know, a couple of hundred people. So it's very, very small. And again, I would say the witches one is very much an exploration of, <clears throat> they call it headology. So it's, it's always about how, like the witches are always being asked to use magic and expected to use magic, but obviously they always just use their wit and their wiles um, to get people to act the way they want to act. And yeah, th these are definitely the funniest ones. Um, the, the Granny Og is a hilarious character. Um, McGrath Garlic is, she's described as a wet blanket, which is she's very, very, very funny. And Granny Weatherwax, I think, is probably the best character Pratchett's come up with, maybe along with uh, the Patrician. Um, she's fantastic. I think I'll start with that one. Yeah. So, like, there, there's always sort of multi main characters, there's never just one. No, there's right. usually yeah, there's usually a group. Um, mm -hmm. the, there's there's other series, um, the more modern ones. There's a guy uh, called Moist von Lipwig, and in those books, um, it's he starts the post office again, mm -hmm. and he also starts money, um, which is kind of related because the stamps that he creates become a currency and then the currency he, all that sort of stuff so again you can see those themes of modernization and yeah. just keep coming through but the weird sisters is a sort of counterbalance i think to that modernization where it's like remember you know the the simple human aspects of life because yeah. they are ultimately the most powerful things um do you think he was a feminist writing about witches and sort of having yeah. female characters as, as the protagonists in their I books. think he was a natural feminist. I, I, I again I that the weird sisters I think is the one that starts with the Macbeth quote um like when shall we three meet again? And so I think he started that book thinking about three witches and put them in that situation and then ran with it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would imagine that's how it happened. I, I don't know. Um, but I think he's a natural feminist that all his female characters are totally well-rounded, total characters in their own selves. They're, they always win, I think. In, in all the books, the women always win. Um, and they're always the smartest. But I don't think it's a deliberate feminist choice I just think he probably had a really strong mother and you know he just wrote like that and he just believed it um, I, I, he, I've read a couple of interviews you know he has a lot of um, uh, the trans transgender gay characters in all in all his books and he just said they just occurred naturally it just happened like that and he just wrote about them um, mm -hmm. I think he had a lot of uh, uh, LGBTQ friends and he just seemed to come across as one of those people that liked everybody and yeah. just wanted to explore them for themselves. So, I, I, as I said, I think it was a natural feminist. I don't think you would you would say he was a card carrying feminist, but I definitely think he's one of those people. I would really count the Witches series as feminist literature. Um, 
I really, really would. Uh, I, I think they're some of the, again, it's just the characters. The, the strength yeah. of Granny Weatherwax is, again, she's the patrician of the country. I would mm-hmm. put her like that. You know, she's the leader out there in the country, but she doesn't have a title, which is, mm-hmm. I think, very similar to a lot of female experiences over yeah. many, many centuries where they yeah. have held all the power or not no. all the power, but you know what I mean? Yeah, they emotional have, labor and all yeah, that. Le- all sort of, that. There's a nice quote I saw. Um, so Equal Rights is the book, I think. And there's a character, Escarina. Um, and so she's delivered by Granny Weatherwax when she was a midwife. Yeah. Um, and she um, basically they're talking about magic for women versus men and then the difference. And this quote is, she, uh, Granny doesn't, Weatherwax doesn't want Escarina to become a wizard. So she says it's the wrong kind of magic for women is with, I'm going to start that again. It's the wrong kind of magic for women is with wizard magic. It's all books and stars and geometry. She'd never grasp it. Whoever heard of a female wizard? Witches is a different thing altogether. It's magic out of the ground, not the sky. And men could never get the hang of it. So th- I thought that was... Um, yeah, I, 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 I think that was to follow on to the good shepherds. Like Ascarina was... Actually, you're right. The, the later books in the witches series um, went to... Yeah, it was Escarina and went to the younger witch and really actually explored feminism in much more overt terms. And that speaks of like reclaiming which is a positive for women and, and they're sort of harping back to the natural kind of spells yeah. and potions of the earth. And I'd say I'd say that was also something that Pratchett did a lot more. He did become much more overt in his later writing. Um, racism, for example, I, I've, I've forgotten the book now, but racism in the the previous Ankh-Morpork world was always there, but it wasn't tackled. It was, it was there's dwarfs, orcs, werewolves, humans all living in the same city. So it's very much, there's a huge amount of immigration issues within Ankh-Morpork. Um, but in the later books, uh, it's again in the Sam Vime series. Um, I'm trying to remember the book. It was, it was like a, a railroad. Anyway, but he goes out and he finds these um, uh, species being um, exploited and, and it becomes much more overtly about racism within society. Whereas in the previous books, he just laid it all out. I think you're right. In the later books, he did become much more overt about these issues and really tried to tackle them. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know when that one came, came out, but it's just, yeah. Um, Reasonably recent. I yeah. used to, the, the, I'll, I'll throw a quote back at you. It's always my my favourite Pratchett quote because I think it sums up so much. It's it's um, from Sam Vimes. It's from that book, Men in Arms, that, that first book within the uh, Nightwatch series. And it's uh, Samuel Vimes earned $38 a month as a captain of the watch plus allowances. A really good pair of leather boots, the sort that would last years and years, cost $50. This was beyond his pocket, and the most he could hope for was an affordable pair of boots costing $10, which might, with luck, last a year or so before he would need to resort to makeshift cardboard insoles so as to prolong the moment of shelling out another $10. Therefore, over a period of 10 years, he might have paid out $100 of boots, 
twice as much as the man who could afford $50 upfront 10 years before and he would still have wet feet. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, that kind of sums up fast fashion. And <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was, it's, it's described as, as his theory of economic justice about how the poor just keep struggling Mm. And the way society is structured is those rich people can always get by pretty easily, but the rich will always keep struggling. And again, it's 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 a common theme. The poor, you mean? The poor, sorry, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a common theme in his yeah. books, and it's it's he's he's on the the side of the small guy, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, does he have good? Sorry, good. No, no, go on. Does he have good and bad characters? Would you oh say yeah. I, I, and I'd say he's quite cliched in his bad characters, but he's again he makes fun of it. So there's always a lot of the uh, you know the evil guy with the the long bald head and the big nose, and you know that sort of very obviously evil person. And he makes fun of it all the way through. Um, he, he much more prefers the good and the the, the characters that have the the light and grey. Um, mm. I think he goes with them much more. And then uses the the evil people as a sort of, you know, uh, a, a crutch or a pivot. I think that the one actually exception to that, or one of the exceptions to that, is Small Gods, where Vorbis is the the evil person within um, uh, the book. But he's he probably is much more of a fleshed out character, and he does express that evilness of the system and, and politicians and, and Machiavellian sort of evilness. One thing I've noticed about the books is that they're very, I mean, you can tell straight away it's a Pratchett book and it's very distinctive covers. It's the covers you're talking about, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is the, the, my theory of the case is this is what actually held him back from serious consideration because a lot of his book covers, they're silly. There's a lot they're, going on. They, they're, they don't... Yeah, they're, they're, you, I, I would encourage the listener to, to Google them, maybe. They were done with a, a specific uh, style that, that does not match the Pratchett world. I And I used to rip them off when I'd bring them out because yeah. they looked so stupid. They like, were kind of directed to think that way about the characters, maybe. Yeah, it was like it was the sort of women and, you know, big busted women with, you know, big swords and all that sort of stuff. It was totally incongruous to, to what the, the book was. Actually, interestingly enough, in the last 10 years, I've noticed they have totally gotten rid of all those covers. Um, yeah, I saw one that was just black. Almost of yeah. his books now are just black covers. Um, and they, they've sort of redone them and, and re-gone back because I think it was a big mistake. It, they pigeonholed them in that derivative fantasy world where it was so much better than that. And the fact that he did break out of that, even though every critic every person pigeonholed him into that shows the quality of his work because it did get out of that bubble eventually um, because word of mouth, essentially, people just telling other people, which yeah. I think this podcast is all about. So hopefully I've told a few more. I think so, definitely. And I think I think um, if people aren't put off by fantasy, they definitely will be put off by the, those covers, I think, if, <laughs> if it's new to them. But whereas if it, if they just see Terry Pratchett, they might just go, I don't know who this is. Like, there's so many Pratchetts or Patchetts, or <laughs> so they might just pick it up. But definitely, you've you've um, sort of argued the case for him there, and I think I'll start with Weird Sisters. Um, Equal Rights is the first one of that. It's pretty good. Yeah, 
or or <laughs> Lords and Ladies is probably the best one in the Witches series. Okay, but did you have to read them in order? Or does it doesn't matter. Nope. I just realized tonight that I hadn't read them in order. So there you oh, go. Okay, that's good. <laughs> okay, Hugh, that's brilliant. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks so much, Ellie.